This is CliffCentral.com. This is Change Matters, made just for you by BrightRock, provider of the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Welcome, I am Ruda Landman. The role of mentors is as old as we can remember. For a while, being called a mentor was stigmatized. Now the tables are turning again. In this edition, we speak to Clint Brink, Gavin Mukari, Paul Maboy, Jonathan Janssen, Graham Smith, and Kino Kamis. When asked about mentorship, actor and producer Clint Brink was sure that it has a purpose that should not be underestimated. Oprah's got four coaches. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for me, it's simply put, um, the, you, any athlete you can find, Muhammad Ali was a boxer like many other boxers. What made it better is he's, his coach found out how to tap into his potential and found out who he is to maximize his ability. Michael Jordan also, great player, he had great coaches. Um, and for me, I think we should, you know, either your parents or your community, you need to have some form of coach in your life. When I got to backstage, I met Musa Manzini, who was the musical director of the show, and he heard me play and sing piano. Um, he heard me play piano and sing backstage one day. He was like, "Listen, just come to the studio," and I sat with him. And you know, and next thing you know, some of the songs that you hear on the show was stuff that I wrote and produced with him. I ended up being a music student then on the show, and that's how I think nationally also the exposure started of me being a musician. That can show you what success is like. Media and advertising guru Gavin Makari is also a firm believer in mentorship. I grew up in the most beautiful part of the world, uh, and I get to appreciate it more now that you know I've grown up and you know, spending as much time as home. When you drive to Limpopo, it's a place called Davos uh, Kloof. When I get there, I open the windows, Makwas Kloof, and you just smell God's presence mm-hmm. and a lot of uh, sounds. Livestock, music, and my rural part. I grew up in a very honest environment where, where people are unhappy, they let you know, and everybody knows. And my favorite people who also gave me a lot of confidence in the young people teachers. So I loved teaching, and that's what I wanted to do for the most part of my life. As much as Given loved teachers, he also loved to be a student. I asked him what his experiences were like when he went to New York. I wasn't that green, but arriving in that environment as a student, I, it, was, it was amazing for me. One thing that I noticed, certainly from an academic point of view, was that our my level vis-a-vis the students that I was uh, in the same lecture rooms with, we actually had a much decent education in terms of exposure, a world outlook. So I didn't arrive in a place that was very intimidating from an academic point of view. But I was very much in a hurry to work. So I got in there and within the first month or two had negotiated with my lecturers to allow me to cut down my days in class so I can be in the city working. I worked for a company called Inner City Broadcasting, which had two radio stations, uh, one called WBLS, another one called LIB. And then with a bit of time, I joined Sony Entertainment in the Artist Management Division. And then during fall, I'll go down to the West Coast and work for um, a movie house called Castle of Entertainment that a lot of people should know about. So I, I got a nice exposure to the overall media space beyond just uh, on radio. Given also had Chinua Chebi as his professed mentor. Grace, patience, an amazing listener. 
um, military. He he never he never behaved like Chinua Machere. He was a father of a young African son. He's a fellow African from Nigeria. He lived in the US for quite a while and was my lecturer as well in, uh, in, in African literature. But adopted me, you know, me and my other colleague who was from South Africa as well, and treated us as as his sons. Him and son and wife just gave us a home away from home and um, a lot of wisdom. Given's first conscious memory of an active mentor is his mother. What I'm finding is that there is every 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 year, every month, quite frankly, every day, it's an opportunity. It's a legacy creation opportunity. And and the question is, what stage of your life are you at? So if you talk to me about where did you start believing you're worthy of something? It was a moment I'm sitting on my mother's lap. I'm probably about ten. And I sneeze like crazy in Zanin, uh, I think 1984. And she says to me, are you going to sneeze like that in Parliament? You're so loud. Now this is about the South Africa days. My mother went up to Standard 2, so today grade 4. Um, we have no sense of Parliament other than obviously the, um, the Homeland Parliament. Somehow this woman treats me as a parliamentarian or tells me how to behave in preparation to lead. So, so it's unbelievable. Subconsciously, you start behaving like the person you are told you are supposed to become. So it builds confidence. But I walked into Teflop like a leader because my mother told me I was worthy of. And any moment of affirmation, when somebody says, Naruda, you're beautiful, take it in. Because you start experiencing that beauty and you start, you start expanding it, you start living it out. So some people are very dismissive of compliments. They go, ah, oh, come on, you're just being nice to me. Very skeptical. I take it in. It yeah. builds you. You gotta consciously take that good day, that good conversation, that good check and that good experience and own it. For sports presenter and Paul Maboy, Robert Marawa's words of wisdom keeps her on the ball in her chosen career. Looking at Robert Marawa, who is one of the greats when it comes to sport in the country, I mean, that man literally knows. You ask him about golf, he knows. You ask him about tennis, he knows. So he basically said to me, listen, you're only as good as your last broadcast. And having said that to me, it, it, it always made me want to do every broadcast as though it is my last broadcast. So you go in there, you prep. He always says, listen, I might come across like I know everything, but when you are sleeping at two o'clock in the morning, I'm preparing for tomorrow, you know? So prep, preparation is, is everything, because they do say failure to prep is preparing for failure. Um, so you always have to go in there fully prepared and over-prepared, because also dealing with live games at any time the, the broadcast might cut, and they have to come to you, and you have to fill in the blanks. So if you've underprepared, then you don't have anything to talk about. So you always have to come in and 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 yeah, and literally just try and better whatever broadcast you've done before. That's being very professional. <laughs> but obviously, at times you have those moments where you think, "Oh, it's a Soweto derby. Everybody knows the Soweto derby. I can come in there and just bask it, on. you know." But after five minutes of being on air, you're like, I really should have prepared for this one. <laughs> so you will always be caught off guard. 
Professor Jonathan Janssen chose his career because of a teacher who mentored his mind, and his gains are, according to himself, still amazing. For him, mentoring is a two-way street. There were two reasons. The first was the uh, unbelievable influence of a teacher, uh, a, a, uh, I suppose today they call it grade 10, a uh, standard eight teacher um, who taught me Latin, who was a dramatic performer and and connected with the lives of kids. And even though he was teaching Latin, he was actually teaching life. Yes. And I was so impressed, you know, by the connections he made between uh, the subject matter and, and everyday life. I said to myself, I'd like to be like him one day, which meant, of course, being a teacher. And then I forgot about it. Then I wanted to become a chemist and so on and so forth. And those days, as you know, there were very few bursaries available for anything, and uh, except if you wanted to become a teacher or policeman, nurse mm. or, or, or librarian, I remember those were the options. So I took the, the bursary, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to study, uh, uh, and then went into teaching partly inspired by him, partly out of necessity. It was like somebody had put me in paradise. I couldn't believe that I could have five classes of about 35 kids every single day and make signs, or, and particular biology was my main subject, come alive to children on the West Coast in a place called Friedenburg because I wanted to be, I was very idealistic, still am, wanted to be out of Cape Town where I grew up and I wanted to be in the Platteland and, you know, make a difference and and all of that. And it, I mean, since I used to ask the kids to come in on a Saturday just so that I could teach them. <laughs> I used to beg them to come in on holidays for extra classes, not that they needed it, just that I could teach, you know. And, and yeah, so it, it was just like, I mean, to this day, I teach first-year students. And if you take that away from me, I don't want to run a university. It's not worth it. Um, the Afrikaans-speaking people have got a beautiful word, Rupan. You know, there must be something that calls you into it. So I'm very much aware of it, that somewhere deep inside of me, you give me a class, I perform. I was teaching this performance, I teach. And, and so, so there's first of all that. Then there's secondly an awareness that, particularly when you're dealing with kids who are poor or rural or disadvantaged and so on, you know the only way they get out of that trouble is through... Mm. Uh, education. I mean, that's so clear in my head because it worked for me. And so there's partly this passion to teach and partly the understanding of the consequences of teaching, that if you do it well, you change domestic economies, you change a country, who's aware of the bigger. Cricketer Graham Smith admitted that he dreamed of heading the South African cricket team, but misjudged the time. He needed a mentor because he was so young. I had to dream about it. I don't think I dreamt that I'd get it at 22. Um, I was fortunate that, like, I think cricket for me was was my dream. I mean, I loved sport as a youngster, and you know, as I progressed you know, through the age groups, you know, cricket started to become more and more sort of the most prominent thing in my life. And from the age of about 16, I honestly can't remember wanting to be anything else. Even I had my parents arguing, "Do your homework. You know, you never know. You could get injured trying every trick under the book." But for me, it was always crickets, and I think the the fortunate thing that I had was I was sent to an academy at about the age of you know, 13, 12 or 13 there, and there was a psychologist that taught us about goal setting, you know, um, and I think that's why I had, 
you know, maybe had you know, written down that I'd love to captain South Africa one day, and you know, so that was that was kind of always had been a dream. I've actually still got that piece of paper. Um, I still have it in the exact same little folder that I had as a 12 or 13 year old. Um, and I always carried it around with me, and you know, occasionally through my career, I'd always go back and look at things that um, you know, whether it was a tough time or a good time, I'd go back and just just to create perspective of uh, you know what you've been through to get get to this point in your career. You know, when you've been playing for South Africa for you know, 12 years, you know, go through so much, but I always enjoyed going back and seeing uh, where it all started. You know. um, I'm probably a daily planner or a weekly planner, but um, I, I certainly um, haven't uh, planned long-term in, in anything that I've done. I think, you know, with, with my career and everything that I was faced, it, you know, things change so quickly, you know, from, from day to day, from week to week. You know, from venue to venue, everything is, is different, you know, and you, you're traveling the world, you know, even in South Africa, you're traveling to different parts of South Africa and all the different challenges that you face. You know, you need to be able to meet them along the way and obviously over time gained experience at, at doing that. I, I read a fair amount. I mean, I think early doors, the first big sort of tour I had was to England and tried to interact with them, um, you know, various people, uh, on that tour. Um, obviously, immediate people around me. Um, like if I'm honest, I mean, I was never put on a course. I was never put on a speaking course. I was never, you know, really assigned a mentor at 22. I, I learned through my own growth, really, um, mistakes, doing things well, um, you know, having the ability to look in the mirror. And, and also until the point of about, I'd say about 2006, 2007, where, you know, I really started to work with uh, Paddy Upton. Um, who eventually became the team psychologist, um, and straight after Paddy, you know, I became very close with a guy named Jeremy Snape, who then became sort of a really important mentor. And, and then as I started to grow and find the confidence in myself and uh, understand um, what the role really required, mm-hmm. and I started to settle down and started to, to figure out this plan. And, and within that, you know, calmed down and sort of allowed myself to grow and, and be more open. Radio personality and entrepreneur Kino Cummings, who grew up in Elsie's River in the Western Cape, remembers dreaming as a child. Out of that grew a sense of purpose and belief. I used to dream quite a lot. Yeah, overactive ima- imagination along with my ADD and everything else. And my mother and my father never ever said to me, you can never do that. My mother always said, dream and follow your dreams. We used to take drives, through Seapoint when we still couldn't live there. We used to drive through Bishop's Court when we couldn't live there. And I used to say to my mom, I want to get a house here one day. Now I can't, I still can't afford to live in Bishop's Court. <laughs> but, um, you know, the country's changed. Now I remember my dad saying he doesn't think that the country will ever change while he's alive. But my mom retorted, no, 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 and it can. And it's the children who can do it for us. And, and it's that sort of, positive reinforcement of my ideas and my dreams that made me look further than, you know, Holt Road, which is the main road in Elsie's River, and maybe think, think across the bridge into, into, into Paro and then further than Paro and, 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 and increase my horizon and, and, and what I believe I can do. Thanks for listening to Change Matters, made just for you by Brightrock, the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Make sure you catch every episode of Change Matters. This is CliffCentral.com.